Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Pod Diva. This is Pod Diva, and I'm Rachel Shelley. If you're an LGBTQIA plus woman or non-binary person, this is your weekly podcast. The legendary Tegan and Sarah, who've shaped queer pop culture for almost 25 years, are rocking the August cover of Diva magazine. Hear tracks from their latest breakup album, Cry Baby, Can Twin Sisters Break Up? Get the lowdown on their new TV show based on their book, their upcoming graphic novel, their foundation, their advocacy work. Discover the surprising things they do if they get the time to relax. You'll hear Sarah talking to Diva's Nick Krozara first, but stay tuned to hear Tegan after the break. Pod Diva. So I loved listening to Cry Baby. We have to talk about like your latest video. I can't look away. I noticed you're wearing a yellow jumper and you paid homage to Coldplay's Yellow in your Yellow music video. Play. Feels like yesterday. When I started writing that song, I always write choruses first, so as soon as I started writing that song, I knew, like, I just started calling it Yellow. Like, you know, it had that word in it, and it was, like, that's what the song became to me. And I would always make a joke, like, I'll have to change the title of that song. It's like Coldplay Forever and Ever. It's one of the most, like, legendary pop songs of our generation, I think. But it just stuck and it was so hard, I didn't want to actually change it. And so then when it came down to making the video, do we just, like, really lean into the fact that we have a song called Yellow? Lean into the video treatment, nod to what is truly, like, a masterpiece, like the video, the song. I remember it being such a huge moment. I was 20, living in Vancouver, and everything on the radio and music video television was in sync, and Backstreet Boys, and Britney Spears, and, like, no shade to those bands and, you know, like, that, that era or whatever, but... I hated it at the time. You know, I obviously was like a very alternative queer person who was just like, what in the hell has happened? Limp Biscuit. I don't know, like, it was just like a nightmare. Suddenly there's this like sweet British boy singing this like undeniably great song. And it was like definitely more mainstream than what I was like into, but I just loved it. And I remember getting the album and just like listening to it like crazy. Yeah, I don't know. It just felt like the right tone. 
for the for the video and for the song. So I love them. Amazing, I love it. And I can't wait to see if you um, do more videos from the album as well. The next day after we shot Yellow, we shot a video for I Can't Grow Up, the album opener. It's great. It's like, it's really fun. And it, we kind of, we sort of nod a little bit at Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. I don't know if it was like intentional that we were going to like make these videos that sort of like throw back to like a very specific era, but it's definitely our take, but it's, it's, it's really fun. So I'm excited for people to see that. It's been really fun actually making the music videos for this album. Really fun. Baby, actually, how you both explored like the power of being vulnerable. Can you tell us when you realised you wanted to kind of implement this theme into the album? You know, as we're making albums or we're writing songs, like I don't always really have a game plan. Like it's not very strategic. I always think of like the period of time where we're writing as this really wonderful, you know, the term in mountain climbing, free solo, like this idea, like you're kind of climbing without ropes and you're sort of just like you're sort of taking all these risks you know when we start writing songs no one has to hear them but us like that's my favorite time you know to just kind of like try everything try a song that might be super embarrassing but like it, there's no risk because nobody's gonna hear it with this batch of songs pandemic had just started and we were in lockdown. I had like quite literally nothing to do. Our tour had been canceled. And I just was like, what do I have to lose? Like, I'll just try to write a bunch of songs and both lyrically and production wise that felt like just like something, hopefully something like you said, vulnerable or new or touching on things that I hadn't touched on before. And as you start to build a reservoir of, of music and ideas, the themes start to sort of like come to the surface. You know, it was probably a couple of years into writing this one that we started to feel like, okay, there's there's something really unique here. Tegan, Tegan gets annoyed at me. She doesn't like my concept for the album, which is I really see this as the Tegan and Sarah breakup record, not a, like breakups that we've had in our personal lives. Like this is like the Tegan and Sarah breakup record. I think we had a lot of really existential conversations as a band and as sisters through this last three years where... I, I don't know if we can break up as sisters. Like, what do we have to show people and offer people as a band that's been around for almost 25 years? We want to make music. We love making music. But like, do we do that still as Tegan and Sarah? Do we finally do solo projects? You know, we just didn't know. And we were having these really big conversations. Even though every song on the record is not about that, it's like, it's undoubtedly like just texture in our lives and during the time that we were writing this album. So I tried to pitch this as the Tegan and Sarah breakup album and Tegan was like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> and did you get to like a conclusion on that feeling of like, could you break up? Yeah, I think I, I, I like I said again, I don't, I don't know if you can break up when you're like in a band with your sister, like we're going to always be sisters. And I used to feel uncomfortable talking in those terms, but I feel like Tegan and Sarah is, it has a legacy. It's, it, we have a history. We've, you know, we've been through a bunch of eras. I think we've been trailblazers at times. And I don't want to break up, but I also don't want to like just be in this band because it's like my job. I think I want to always feel like we're trying new things or, or we're just like having a blast. We're in a situation where creatively and collaboratively we can do other things. We've written books now. We are, we have so many other projects in the works. You know, we have a graphic novel coming out, a TV show coming out. Our band has to be 
it still has to have that chemistry that makes it work. And I think we found a way to capture that with this new album. But I'm like always cognizant of the fact that that it might not always feel that way. And that's like kind of sad. I don't I don't remember thinking that when when I used to threaten to break up our band in my 20s, it was just because I thought Tegan was an asshole. You know, <laughs> like I didn't wasn't thinking in terms of like, oh, you know, as collaborators, do we still have do we still have that chemistry that makes people interested in us? And you were talking about like your legacy just now, and I was wondering how does it feel to know that you've inspired and influenced so many musicians from like all the different generations, like including Haley Kiyoko as well? I like it. I mean, it feels it feels very touching, and I think there was a part a part of our career, especially in the very beginning, where we actually didn't feel very like cool or very like inspiring. Some of that might have just been the lack of social media and the internet in the early aughts. Like we just didn't communicate. We just didn't have that sort of like hive mind that we can like so easily tap into now. There was a real feeling of isolation at the beginning of our career. Like, oh, we're not in a cool scene. For example, I lived in Montreal when there was a big heyday in the music scene, like Arcade Fire and the Stills and the Deers and Metric and like the broken social scene, like Toronto, Montreal was just like this huge, crazy scene of indie music. And I was living there too. And I was like in a band, you know, and I was like, well, how come we're not in that scene? And I would always sort of feel a little bit like invisible, I guess. And I always wondered like, oh, is it because we're just not cool? Or is it because we're queer? As the years have gone by, as the internet has changed and we have more access to like the community online, I think we started to realize like, oh, we are impacting people. Like people do see us. And that felt like really so comforting to, to us. Cause I think sometimes we really did feel like we were like in a vacuum. You spoke about how you have a TV show coming out as well based on your memoir, which you've already done. Mm -hmm. You obviously had to re-examine so much of like your youth and your lives. Have you noticed anything about um, how your relationship with your queerness has changed over the years? Oh my God, yes, absolutely, like so much. <laughs> I mean, I think it's tricky, like the TV show specifically, you know, focuses on our adolescence, you know, and our, our the, the, the first season when we're, when we're 15. When I think about how, tor like truly tortured, like that's not like an embellishment. I think I felt truly tortured by my sexuality as a teenager while simultaneously feeling like I had a support, like a community of friends who at times it felt like turning a blind eye and at other times it just sort of felt like totally normal like or normalized to be clearly like gay and having relationships with girls in high school like I was I don't think any of my friends were like when I finally came out at 18 were like what no way we really thought you loved that dude you dated Chad you know like I think everyone knew that I was actually having relationships with my friends, dating those girls and having dramas and whatever behind the scenes. When I think about that now, like on one hand, it's so beautiful because I was able to act on my queerness and have these very consensual, really loving relationships. But then I was also having them in this extremely toxic way where I had to be completely closeted and isolated. That sort of like habit of compartmentalizing, like how everybody saw me and how I saw myself. I think that's like really hard to shed. And the more that I wrote about that and thought about it in my adolescence, the more that I realized that it's it's still sort of part of who I am now. Not obviously I'm not closeted, we're like so publicly out and gay and I'm like so gay. It's still part of the shame that I sometimes feel, just like the discomfort 
that I always sort of feel in, in my life. It's kind of a wound or something. And it's just really hard to ignore that. And I think that's why it feels so good to embrace being queer and starting the Tegan and Sarah Foundation, for example, and doing a lot of the work that we do with community organizations. And I don't need to spend much more time dealing with my shit. Like I actually just prefer to be like, how do I support resourcing and programs and community efforts that can give other people a, a better chance at having having a good, equitable, like a good life. Like how do I how do I support other people doing that? And that that actually makes me feel like I'm doing something more than if I just sit in therapy for like the four hundredth year and go like I was sad when I was fifteen. <laughs> no, like that's good too. Like I do think that's important. I like the active way of God being a queer teenager was hard. Like, so like, let me see how I can like, sort of like figure that out for other people or help support other people figure that out. Obviously like growing up in the nineties, there wasn't much like representation to see yourselves like in pop culture. Lately, there's been a lot more TV shows and now high school will also be joining that and helping like other people to see themselves, which it would be really great. Can you remember anything that helped you when you were like coming of age in the nineties? What was really unique about the nineties was that there was a queerness in general that I think was new and like maybe because I was gay, I noticed it. <laughs> There was a brief period, a couple of years, where things felt a bit queer and a bit like gender expression, especially for men, like thinking about like Michael Stipe and Kurt Cobain and whatever. Like I remember thinking like, well, this is cool. Like even the smallest things like, oh, he's wearing a skirt or, oh, he's wearing nail polish. Like I remember that actually really making an impact on me because up until that point, things had been so specifically gendered in music and in and in the world that yeah it wasn't lost on me even those tiny small things like things now that we would like not even think about like they were really they really rocked our world Ani DeFranco was like a huge thing I remember when when she was on the cover of Spin magazine that was the, the essential music magazine for us like when we were growing up I can remember seeing the cover of that magazine like it, it was like seeing an alien I, I had never seen someone that looked like her on the cover of that magazine and devouring like almost memorizing the article she seemed to represent something i didn't link it to me when i look back on it now i'm i was looking for a road map i was looking for a way to imagine my own life and how i could be so yeah it was a little bit more fuzzy back then but even though there wasn't an abundance of representation i found it i found some of it you know, one of the things that really hit me when we were making our TV show this year, I've never seen anything with twin representation. As I was watching stars of the show, our actual twins, and they're queer, I was extremely moved by watching them on screen because as a twin, <laughs> like a gay twin, I just was like, is this the first time I'm seeing gay twins that are not me and Tegan? in these kind of like really textured, complicated, dynamic moments. It was very moving to me. So yeah, representation, just it's it so matters. It's amazing. I can't wait to watch this. Last time you spoke to Diva was in 2019, I think. You both talked about being like workaholic Virgos. Got the album coming out, then you're going on tour. You've got graphic novels coming out, a TV show. What do you do for like fun and relaxation outside of creativity? I'm not just saying this to be funny. If I need to relax, what I do is I clean. I clean the house. I'm sure people think I'm unwell. I I don't know. Like, I, I love to be in motion. I love to put on, like, a long-form podcast or an audio book. And I love to just, like, deep clean a house or go for, like, a crazy long walk somewhere. Or I just I have a sort of very active 
interior world. I just, I need to, I just love to be creating. I draw, I write, I make music. I just am a dreamer. I just like to be doing things. There's this really driven part of me that just wants to always be in motion. When you last went to TV, it was just before like your 39th birthday. What was it like to turn 40 in, in the pandemic? Do you know, it actually was sort of wonderful because everyone we grew up with, we're still friends, really close with, really good friends with, and we all turned 40 in the same year, that first year of the pandemic. We were all in that early stage of needing each other and wanting to connect all the time. And we would do these weekly Zooms with all our high school friends. And, and so we kind of celebrated each other in this really specific way. We all got to celebrate each other turning 40. And then when Tegan and I turned 40, like there was a little bit of easing up of um, restrictions. And all of our high school friends and our family, we all drove and met in the interior. It was the first time I'd been around a big group of people since the pandemic started. And it was so wonderful. I think if, if we hadn't been in the middle of the pandemic, our 40th would have been fine. Like it would have been fine. But instead it ended up being this like sort of remarkable gathering where I think we all just felt a lot of gratitude for each other and for the, for the time and the you know, the opportunity to see each other under the circumstances. It was wonderful. I listen to a lot of different kinds of music, but my favorite band right now, like that I really just love their albums is a band out of Chicago called Dead. That was my pandemic record. I just, I can sing the guitar leads. Like, you know, I just like fucking loved it. I'm like so nervous and excited to play shows again. Since we started playing music at 15, I've always played shows. Can't think of a time or a stretch of time that went longer than a few months. It's been years. Like I'm, I feel very out of shape. Like when I think about like playing a show, like mentally or something, I'm really excited though. I'm sure it will come back very naturally and it will feel like home. <laughs> You're so supportive, Nick. You're like a, like a life coach. I'm, I'm a Taurus, so I feel like we're compatible. Is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll jump off and I'll let Tegan, you can have Tegan off yourself. Nick, it was really a pleasure to meet you. Pod Diva. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Partiva. So I live in Vancouver most of the time, but off the coast of Vancouver, there's a cluster of islands they refer to as the Southern Gulf Islands. And my partner and I, we own a cabin over here. This cabin was like built in the 70s. They call it a bunkie or a writer's shed. And that's where I'm sitting right now is in my writer's shed. I love the artwork as well. Amazing. Oh, thanks. This drawing right here, that Sarah did that. Sarah does these kind of incredible, intense drawings with pen. She's like amazing. I would, if it, let me just say this, if I had even just an ounce of Sarah's talent when it came to drawing, I would be selling my art and not playing with Tegan and Sarah. <laughs> when I was just talking to Sarah, she said she pitched Cry Baby as a, like, a Tegan and Sarah breakup album, so I would like to hear your take. Yeah, she did pitch that, and since we weren't breaking up, I was like, I don't understand. Yeah, I think when you get this far into your career, you know, you really have to find motivation is probably the wrong word, but inspiration, you know, in that sort of world of inspiration and motivation and purpose and meaning, we're always searching to make sure that we're not just putting a record out to put a record out, which isn't to imply we don't need to be in a band anymore. I mean, this is literally how we make a living, but I think each time we make a record now, there's a really big conversation about like the purpose of it. We definitely have not ever spoken realistically about ending the band. We wanted to leave our label. We wanted to go back to an indie. We wanted to get back in the driver's seat when it came to production. We definitely wanted to restore our connection and excitement to music. And so I think there was certainly like a breakup with old Tegan and Sarah. I think we do that every decade, which sound makes us seem like positively elderly, but we're not. But I think because we started when we were 15 years old, we have evolved and grown and we, we feel compelled to sit down and reassess every eight to 10 years and say like, what, what's the next era of Tegan and Sarah? In a way, I guess that's like a breakup or a death, you know, cause you have to leave a lot behind to sort of move forward. In Smoking Weed Alone, you're both singing the chorus, which I believe is completely, yeah, a new for you both. What was it like exploring this type of narrative through song? Yeah, it's interesting. Like Sarah, you know, she wrote All I Wanted and Yellow and I Can't Grow Up really early on and even I Need Control and and I'm Okay. Like like all those songs were written when I finally sat down and decided like, okay, now I'm serious about writing a record. And I was just in such a different space than Sarah, like both in terms of production and, and just mentally. And so, you know, there was just a ton more collaboration on this record because I could tell Sarah really had a vision in mind and an idea of what she wanted the record to sound like. And I was really excited by that. Like Sarah had such a vision for So Jealous. I feel like that's such a fan favorite records. I kind of got on board early with that. So like when Sarah started to want to collaborate with me and inform the structure and production and even kind of got into like writing lyrics and pushing me to do certain things, I was really game. And it was really fun. Like again, after so many years, it was really exciting to do something different. On our last record, which was kind of a companion to our memoir, we crisscrossed singing and shared lead a lot, actually, because that's what we did when we were teenagers. And we'd really moved away from that. So this kind of felt like a return to that in some way, or maybe because maybe it was tantalizing 
to imagine sharing some of the responsibility of the songs. So that crisscrossing is is really exciting and fresh for sure. And definitely hasn't happened on a major Tegan and Sarah release. So it feels pretty cool. <laughs> you finished filming high school. What was it like working with Clea Duvall for the for the adaptation? It was amazing. I mean, honestly, we've been friends with Clea for eight, forever and we've worked on stuff before. I mean, she's directed a few videos for us and, and she directed the whole sort of promo campaign for our album Heartthrob. And so I, I sort of had a sense of how she was. I mean, she's she's a very internal person and I'm a very extroverted person. So it was definitely really interesting. She was really incredible to watch. She was masterful on set with all the young cast, especially, you know, Susan and Rayleigh, who we plucked out of TikTok world, who hadn't acted before. And she was really quite compassionate and gentle with them and got great performances out of them. And so as just as a friend, I was really, really, I felt really like lucky to be able to watch her work. And I think Clea's a tremendous actor headed towards a much larger world of writing and producing and directing. And I'm so proud as her friend, as her collaborator. I mean, just like with Sarah, sometimes I wanted to strangle her, you know, both of them at the same time, because it's like, it's our IP, it's our story, right? So like there's times where you're just like, no, Tegan would never say that. But Clea was, she was so patient and understanding and, you know, really helped to guide us to understand that by fictionalizing the story further, it would allow the story to be more TV friendly, but also allow the story to go wherever we wanted it to go. I think that that's so wonderful. Like, I'm glad that the TV show is not bound to the book, and no pun intended, in such a heavy way. We already have changed the story so much over just shooting the season. It was like, hey, this isn't going to work. Are you guys fine? We're going to change this. And it was like, yeah, fuck, totally. So it was really cool. It was a really neat experience. Sarah and I are both working on other projects right now, have some other stuff that we're developing, and it's it's a joy to be able to be creative <laughs> in another way, you know, after doing music so long. It's so cool. And music is sort of at the root of everything we're creating. It's just so cool. But I love Clea. I think she's just such a badass and did such a great job with the project. For the readers, I have to ask, I don't know if you'll be able to say anything, but obviously um, she also directed Happier Season, which you both featured on. Will you be featuring on a, a rumored sequel? <laughs> I can't speak to the rumored sequel. I will say Clea's really busy with our show and a lot of other projects. She's got some amazing projects um, coming down the line. So for people who loved Happiest Season, sequel or no sequel, you're going to get a lot from Clea and some great content. So, but that's all I can say. Amazing. Thank you. I had to ask. <laughs> I have offered myself up. I was like, if you can't get the team back to get Kristen and Mackenzie aren't available, I'm happy to step in. Oh my gosh. I would love that. So yeah. I'll start a petition. <laughs> oh, please, yeah. <laughs> you were talking about like reinventing yourself every like decade. Have you noticed like how your relationship with queerness has like changed over your lives? Yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. You know, it's so funny when we were writing the book, Sarah, I talked a lot about the fact that like Sarah was so tortured as a teenager about her queerness. And for me, it was, it just felt like this incredible, like shocking, exciting secret. I was like, oh my God. You know, like figuring out I liked girls was just such a thrill. But, you know, at the first decade of our career, it was so hard. You know, the like early 2000s were still like super homophobic and they were still like a very strange, complicated time. And at times I felt so marginalized and so angry that we were like left out of so many conversations. We were an emo band, but left out of the emo world. We were an indie rock band, but left out of the indie rock world because it just like mostly was just for white cis guys, you know? And it, sometimes that felt like really, really frustrating. I think the good part of that was that we still, of course, loved being queer enough that we certainly never thought to like change that in any way. 
And it allowed us to really lean into building our own community. And I think that it was then, like probably starting in 2004, that I started to understand the value of community. You know, obviously you look very young, like most of us haven't grown up with that same queer culture that like our prior generations did where like going to the gay club was everything because that was the only place you could be yourself and that was the only place you could meet people like you and that's changed so much and so for me Tegan and Sarah concerts became the gay club you know they became the place where I could look out in the audience and see all sorts of different people but see lots of what I assumed were you know queer identified people and it made me feel like I got to fall in love with my own identity by watching them fall in love with each other at the shows or I think my identity really changed then because I was more empowered to lean into who I was and, and what I felt like and just like with our musical identity you know in our mid-30s we sort of stopped and reinvented our queer identity again starting the foundation really educating ourselves about the marginalized within the marginalized community that we were in, acknowledging our privilege, committing ourselves to redistributing wealth to our community, centering women and girls, especially women of color and trans people. Like it was like this massive awakening that's really dominated the last 10 years of our life where it's like, holy shit, being queer isn't just being queer. It's like a political act and its web is connected to so many other injustices. And it's made me even more excited and proud and committed to using my queerness and my identity to make change. In terms of like the foundation, do you have any anything you could share about like your plans going forward? Well, it's been a fucking great year for Tegan and Sarah Foundation because I feel like everyone told us when we hit five years, we'd start to see it really change. And it really has like this year, we had a massive, massive contribution from Vans, like the shoe company. They donated $125,000, which allowed us to, to meet our full quota for sending LGBTQ kids to LGBTQ summer camps. We've expanded our community grants program. So we're, you know, putting out emergency funding every couple of months. We just put out, uh, I think it was like $30,000 out the door to, to organizations that center trans youth. And they're helping with, you know, just supporting trans youth right now in this horrible time in the States with all these attacks on, on trans youth at schools. And I think probably the most important work that we're doing is we're vetting, basically vetting every LGBTQ organization in North America and then going to companies like Vans and saying, we know you want to give money, so let us help you distribute because you're just, they're going to kind of do the thing where they just give it to the biggest organization, which is totally fine. The big organizations like HRC and, you know, Trevor Project and GLAD and stuff are amazing, but they get millions and millions and millions of dollars. They tend to give to the bigger organizations and, and we're really looking at the grassroots community-led, trans-led, you know, women-led organizations, you know, and we're really cognizant of like not doing work that other people are already doing and not taking funds away from those organizations. We're kind of like creating like a, a water slide to those organizations. It's going so great. I mean, I hope we can continue to expand our work. We have a, an amazing, amazing project that we're about to launch. We've spent the last couple of years developing a healthcare directory for LGBTQ people with LGBTQ allies and healthcare professionals who support LGBTQ people and can and give competent care or in conjunction with a huge organization called Clama, which is a directory of healthcare professionals. All this seems kind of boring on the surface, but underneath it's amazing Simple. because so many people from our community don't advocate for themselves or take mental health and general practitioners and those kinds of things because they feel so self-conscious about their identity. This will allow people to connect with people who get them and, you know, from everything from your dentist to massage therapist to your gynecologist. I'm pretty fucking stoked about that. Yeah, thank you so much for yeah, the work that you're doing. What do you do to like relax and have fun outside of like creativity and activism? <laughs> 
I know it sounds absurd that I could still have time for other things. We just have a great foundation of people around us who support us and help us do all the things we want to do. I'm not the like king in my empire being like, I do all these things, Uh, but I do a lot of work. It's true. Um, I love to read, you know, I mean, part of the reason why we bought this little cabin out here is to definitely force me to chill out. I just got an electric bike. Best investment of my life. My God, it's so fun. I feel like a kid. You know, a paddleboard, I do yoga. I have a dog that takes up an enormous amount of my time. I'm basically have become a dog trainer. Obsessed with my dog and hanging out with her and doing stuff with her. So, I don't know, friends and family. It sounds cliche, but as I've gotten older, definitely that's like a huge part of my life now. It's just like, how do I find time for the people that I love? And I spent a lot of COVID like becoming a better cook, really explore food a lot and I don't know. I do work a lot. Could you tell me about like how you feel about being able to connect with your fans again and then also what your relationship is like with your fans? The last full scale band tour that we did was in 2018. So technically it's been like five years. We've done a few acoustic. We did two acoustic tours, but like really short runs prior to the pandemic. It'll be almost five years and it seems wild to me to say that. We've been saying three years, but really five years since we did like a full scale release and, and touring. And I think we needed it. Not saying that we enjoyed the pandemic. I did not enjoy the pandemic. Forced rest, forced time at home, forced off the road. These were like actually really good things for Sarah and I. I know for my, myself personally, I, I feel like it's a bit of a treadmill that we've been on. You finish a record cycle and you immediately start a new record cycle, writing and recording and going into the studio and getting it ready or doing promo and doing the interviews and going on tour. And like, it's just, it becomes so second nature, which is fine. But that amount of work and that repetitiveness, it it disconnected us, I think a little bit from why we were doing this in the first place. And I think we've certainly reconnected to that. The compulsion to tour has subsided a little bit inside of me. I guess it's a bit of fear of missing out, but like this fear of like, oh, if we don't tour all the time, we don't release records all the time, then we are irrelevant. It's like, we're not irrelevant. We are not 23 years old and trying to break our first record. We're not a band that's trying to figure out how to connect. I I think we're out of the time in our lives where we're aspiring to be like massive rock star, superstar. I definitely don't really care about that anymore. I don't know if I ever did, but we don't need to compulsively work and tour and do press, like we don't need to do that anymore to feel like us. As we prepare for the release of Crybaby and the show and the graphic novel and all these things, that's sort of my mindset as I approach all of this is like, what will feel fun? What will feel good? Like, how do we tell the story of Crybaby without degrading ourselves to the point where we're at the end of the cycle being like, thank God that's over. Like, I don't wanna feel that way, you know? I wanna feel the way people feel when they come to a show and then they leave the show and they're like, ah, that was, they're energized and they're happy and that's how I want to feel. I'm not trying to destroy us, I just hate what we become. Our audience is always a mystery to me. Without you I feel empty, but around you I feel numb. Our audience doesn't come to us from one place. I think a lot of queer people like listen to us because of our identity. We also have done so many kinds of tours over the years. Paramore to the Killers to Katy Perry. I'm People come to us from so many different worlds. It's like hard for me sometimes to say what it is exactly that makes up our audience or what our audience is. 
we're not like a typical band. Like I do think people are invested in the culture of Tegan and Sarah, in the culture of Sarah and I's lives, like our sibling relationship. People seem really interested in understanding us and how we collaborate and the banter and all that stuff. So there does seem to be this like family vibe <laughs> to Tegan and Sarah. You like a cigarette, such a bad habit. Avoid you like alcohol, I can't really stand it. But I don't know. All I know is, is that they're just seems to just be this really compassionate, mostly considerate audience that has followed us for a really long time. And we've just appreciated so much. It's so nice to be surrounded by so many brilliant, amazing, mostly young, new artists coming up, inspiring to see what they're doing. A lot of these artists will have been inspired by Tegan and Sarah. So thank you for the way <laughs> and you've made it to the world the way it is now. so great and you know what most of them we know and they say that like you know I see them in the press talking about how I talked so much with Muna and you know Hilly Kyoko specifically but Shora and like a lot of those artists talking about how seeing us kind of try to get into the mainstream and fight for recognition really inspired them to do the same that's super meaningful to me you know and they're doing the hard work out there too like it's it's not like we did the work and now it's done it's like the work that will always be happening Fighting for space in the mainstream, fighting for acknowledgement and recognition and to be seen as equal to to straight counterparts, like that that work's always gonna be out there, especially for those that are not dudes, basically. Like it's just it's hard to compete. A lot of those artists that are like playing their own instruments are still competing against people who <laughs> just go out and dance and sing, which by the way is one of the hardest fucking things you can do. I'm just not no slagging pop music, you know, it's fucking hard as shit. That's why I don't want to do it anymore. It's so fucking hard. Yeah, it's just like uphill battle. Thank you for taking the time to talk to Diva. And we love Diva and we're so thrilled to get to be in Diva again. It's just like always such a delight and y'all always have such great cover artists and cover such great stuff. So it's an honor to be included. Thank you so much. So nice to meet you. Thank you again. Pod Diva. Thank you for listening to Pod Diva, queers for your ears, in association with Diva Magazine, the world's leading brand for LGBTQIA plus women and non-binary people. Please listen and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Diva Magazine. You can email us at editorial at divamag.co.uk. Share the love by leaving us a review. Pod Diva. Queers for your ears. Pod Diva. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.